Towards thee I roll, thou all-destroying but unconquering beast. To the last I grapple with thee. From hell's heart I stab at thee. For hate's sake I spit my last breath at thee. Herman Melville, Moby Dick, Captain Ahab, talking about the whale for pride's sake. And that's how every fall starts. And I'll tell you, trying to preach on this in one weekend has got a lot of arrogance in it. I, I am I'm overwhelmed with my notes up here. <laughs> I, I pray uh, that this is a blessing to you today. We're going to focus in this service on shoring up some things that were missed in the last service. I touched on them, but they were missed. And so this weekend, perhaps more than any other, is a great weekend to listen to both sermons. And you can always do that at sp815.org very easily. YouTube and Spotify, you can do it that way too. But this weekend, there's pieces that I just am going to have to leave out. And every weekend, the sermons are different. So you can do this every weekend, and you'll find a benefit from it. I mean, as we take our step toward a devotional commitment in your life this coming year was set apart, the easiest one on the whole thing probably is just to listen to the other sermon. That's probably the easiest one to do, right? So uh, we're going to shore some things up, and we're going to start with what I called, and I hope we continue to call, uh, Dr. Francis Pieper's Healthful Dogmatic Solution. And uh, Dr. Francis Pieper's Healthful Dogmatic Solution is a three-volume series of books that most Lutherans call Pieper's Dogmatics. And what it is is an encyclopedia of every argument Lutherans care about, written by one guy in about 1910, 1914, somewhere in there, German-speaking, by the way, translated into English, and we're supposed to read it at seminary, and some of us do. Uh, I have certainly read his section on angels, which is all of four pages, and my notes from it are what I want to share with you today, but it is very much done in the format of dogmatics, which means if we're going to talk about God like engineers and mathematicians, well then let's do some dogmatics, yeah? And it's not bad, it's just, it can be a bit much. It's a lot of this verse, that verse, this verse, that verse. So I'm going to do my best in the notes to just kind of let the spirit of the healthful solution, right? The idea of the, the dogmatics is we build this structure of our ideas based on the word of God, and at the end, it solves things. The challenge for Lutherans is we found that certain things we say haven't reformed the Catholic Church the way we'd like it to. So what solution do we need in our present day? Well, I'd say uh, the Bible's words is important, right? That's where we go, Psalms and Proverbs. But here is, you know, some man's words, a man who knew the Bible and the fathers better than me by a, a long stretch, who was well-versed in multiple languages. He says, these are the things to know most about angels from the Bible. First, no one believes in it. No one believes in angels. Even Christians say they do, and they walk out, they act like they don't. And this is the biggest proof in the modern church that we don't believe the Bible. It's quite a statement for 1910, I think prescient even he foresaw you might say he says the angels if we would believe in them exist as part of creation not as part of heaven say where you're saved to although not not there but that they're here is the thing 
They were created in the first six days. They weren't before let there be light. Let there be light was like the light bringing. <laughs> Think about it. You know, the light bringer we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, the term for angel is a word that just means messenger. And so throughout the Bible, if you just go hunting for both Malak or Angelas, uh, you're going to find it talks about God sometimes. The angel of the Lord is God. You're going to find that it talks about, I will send my angel in front of you. That's John the Baptist. So the word's a bit fluid. And Peter points that out too. But, but the real reason that we're going to talk about angels today um, is because there are these ministering spirits that exist in the Bible. And if you convert to following Jesus, you will inevitably read the Bible and you will see these angels there. And what are they? They're not men and they're not God, right? They're ministering spirits, we're told in Hebrews chapter 1. There's a whole section there about the angels where we're also told how they are charged to take care of us. Yeah. Psalm 104, 4 and 5 also talks about this, but it calls them flames of fire. So can you imagine for a moment that there's a fourth dimension you cannot see? It's around you at all times. If you watch movies, I know it's not hard. You can do this easy, you know? Time warp the portal, build a hole, jump through, and it's the dark side or something like that, right? So, well, that's actually real. There's really an underside or an unseen. It's called heaven, the unseen. And heaven, as it is unseen, as it engages with earth, is at war. It's not at peace, it's at war. Well, Jesus is at peace. The good heaven's at peace. But there are other parts of the unseen that are at war against God. Huh? And these flames of fire are ministering spirits charged to care for us, even the demons. But of course, as you know, the demons aren't exactly on God's side, which is where the most important distinction the Bible teaches about ministering spirits is that there are good ones and there are evil ones. And how do you know the difference? And if you think, oh, I have a feeling in my heart, I'll tell you, that's what the witch doctor says. Okay? So how do you tell the difference? Is, is, what does the word of God say? And when they do show up, should one show up on a Friday afternoon in your olive garden, you know, do they say what God said? Or do they say something new? And if they say something new, if it doesn't come to pass awful fast, uh, then it wasn't an angel. <laughs> yeah. And they're not going to say something new because as Hebrews says in 1 verse 1, before it talks about angels, in these last days, that's right now, he has spoken to us by his son. So we have all the words that we need in the Holy Bible to know what we need to know about these ministering spirits who may render themselves visible from time to time, who have an intellect and a will. You might even call them persons. Like not a single one of them is an it. Uh, they're not male and female per se because they're not sexual, okay? But they're not it either. Just like the Holy Spirit is not it. He is he. Uh, so the ministering spirits are persons of a type, but they are not omnipresent and they are not omniscient. That is, they aren't all the places all the time, any individual one of them, and they don't know everything. So here's a fun game to play. What if the devil doesn't know what you think, only what you actually say out loud? And of course, he can hear it when you're listening to other stuff, so he knows what you've been listening to. He doesn't know what you think till you say it. And then he knows how to attack. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. No. 
Maybe he can't read. Maybe he doesn't know what it says. I don't know. I don't know what the devil knows. He's a big fat lie is what he is. He's not a lie in the sense that he is an angel who fell, I suggest to you. Peeper says we can argue about that. I suggest he's an angel who fell to you, an archangel who fell to you, and now that he fell, he is a lie, and that is all he is. So the more that you just understand he's a lie, and when you feel surrounded by evil, you're actually surrounded by God saying, just pray to me. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> yeah? uh, the more that the devil will flee from the name of Jesus Christ on your lips. The power of the angels, when they, when they rally to the call of Alleluia or the name of Jesus, uh, excels ours in strength. Uh, they can perform wonders and miracles. Uh, they don't always, and they're doing that by the authority God gave, of course. Um, and again, they can only be in one place at one time on earth. Um, all lies are from the devil. The devil is obsessed with you. He is the prince of this fallen age. He hates your body. He hates your stuff. He hates you. And he hates the orders that would protect you from anything. Uh, he himself being reserved from, for everlasting fire. His time is short and he don't care. He's going down with hate. That's who he is. You try to reason with the devil, you get confused. He's the Sphinx and the dragon and Leviathan and Tiamat and all the ancient stories. They wish they were talking about him. Captain Ahab wishes it was Moby Dick who was the great evil one. It is Lucifer who is this. And again, he is obsessed with you. But he himself may only obsess unbelievers and may only possess those who will it. So be aware that while the devil may, through his minions, do great evil in his obsession with you, it is obsession that you want to be on guard against because obsession is a sign of idolatry. Yes? And so be obsessed with Jesus while he's obsessed with you. Yes? And know that you will therefore be protected from the demons. You will tread on serpents and scorpions without even knowing it while you sing your alleluias. That's how you walk through a sea parted on a, a dry ground, right? You don't even know. You're not doing it. You're just going forward because the word said to. Right. So one more way to emphasize the devil's obsession. I was chatting with somebody. I think it was my wife, but I don't remember exactly. Uh, uh, just yesterday. And, and it was about ordination, actually. Uh, and it wasn't so much about, like, how does it work or anything like that. Maybe it was. It might have been the show yesterday morning. Anyway. Um, it was this moment where, like I said, that the moment that guy gets ordained, like he takes the vow, yes, I will hold to the scriptures in the Lutheran confessions until the day that I die. Like every demon in a 350-mile radius like looks at him and smells. Because <laughs> they all know, like that one is getting away for, for sure. If we're not, let's go. And they attack. And any new pastor knows. I mean, he knows. You get in, they smile at you, and then they bite. Sorry, people. But it is the way American churches treat their pastors. And it is the devil working through you and your pains and your trials, and you don't even know you're doing most of what hurts me, honestly. And it, it doesn't matter. Just read your Bible, and I love you. But the demons are against us. And so when you baptize your child, same thing. Same thing. Don't baptize lightly. If you're not going to teach, you're just putting a big target on that child's head that says, demons obsessed with him, he'll give up. Yeah. Because the baptism by itself, that is the water without the word that believes it, is just water. 
And so you can put that magic charm on your baby, but if you don't believe it's the word of God, it marks him for the demons, and you're not going to feed it, and they're going to take him away again. Right? It's not a charm. It is a promise. It is the word of God. It does regenerate your heart. You should call in your baptism today. Know you're washed and sanctified in Jesus. Walk in grace the whole way. Give it to your kids. It's not magic, though. Yeah? It calls the devil to fight, so be ready for the fight. Uh, so, uh, good spirits, what are they like? Not like the devil. Uh, they behold God. They're in his sight at all times. They praise him. You can look that up at Matthew 18, 12, or Isaiah 6, 3, or Luke 2, 13 for some of that. They, um, they are elect. That's an interesting term, but it's right there in 1 Timothy 5, 21, um, that they are elect. Uh, that they serve, again, those who are called. There are so many verses about how they work for you. But one thing they will not do is hear your prayer as a prayer to them. They will hear your prayer as a prayer to Jesus and sing right there with you. But when you pray to them, every time they do, let's look at Revelation 22, 8 to 9. They say, stop it, stop it, don't pray to me. Because that's wrong. And if you want to know why not to be a Roman Catholic, well, there's one of several. There are millions of incomprehensible numbers of these thrones, powers, dominions, Daniel 7, 10, Hebrews 12, 22, Colossians 1, 16. All these references, again, if you want to pick up a copy of, I think it's volume three of Peeper's Dogmatics and find the four pages, it's like, what, three months of home Bible study you could do just by looking up the verses he points to. You just got to get around like the pre-1940s English, right? That's mainly the issue that's there. I don't want to just rattle off all these verses for you. Um, but that there are orders and classes of angels that they're different than each other, right? It's not like communism up there, right? Uh, there, there are ranks upon ranks. Uh, cherubim, seraphim, archangels, right? Uh, hosts, all these things. That's true. We know this, right? And then, again, the real thing you want to know is, uh, are they good or are they evil when they are near you? Mm. We'll leave that for another time. So let me give you something now that's a little addition, and I'll just call this what I've learned in my spiritual fight to be an exorcist, which I have no intention of doing like the movies. All I do is I pray the Psalms in Jesus' name every day, and I believe it will drive the demons away from my property and from my neighborhood and from my city. The more people that join me, the more I believe this will happen. I really do believe that is how exorcism works in the Holy Christian Church. I think that one guy who's really faithful and works all the time and saying the words over and over again and just never gives up can see a demon run away from him. I believe that's possible. I don't really want to fight that way, though. I like armies. <laughs> think about it, right? So exorcism, praying against the demons in your neighborhood with the name of Jesus. Here's what I've learned from Acts 15, perhaps the most important text on demonology in the New Testament, I think. What do I know? But here I am. I'm going to share it. Acts 15 says, hey, you pagan Christians, that is, you not Jewish Christians, that is, you who aren't going to really get to know the Old Testament very well because you're not going to. Since you're not going to, here's four things to watch out for. And again, most modern people don't believe these are four things we should watch out for. The Council of Jerusalem is ignored while the Council of Trent is upheld as the word of God. Weird. Weird. Okay? But four things that they say watch out for. First one, idolatry. So you know, you know, 
If you see a statue or a picture with somebody worshiping it, there's demons there. You know it. Like that. Now, well, people don't worship statues or pictures. Oh, yeah? You ain't watching. <laughs> oh, maybe you're watching too much if you follow. <laughs> you're watching the wrong thing. You're watching the screen and not the people watching the screen. You start watching the people who watch the screen. After they get off the screen, you look what they do. They worship idols. It's amazing. I'm not saying all Christians do it, but some do. It's dangerous. The demons are lying to us is the thing, and we listen. That's the problem. Hmm? So idolatry, watch out for it. Watch out for the statue or the picture you can't let go of, you can't imagine life without, that is your reality more than reality. That is a deception, and that is how they work. That's number one. Number two, after idolatry, uh, is going to be uh, what the Greek calls porneia, which is not pornography. Pornography is a picture of porneia. So porneia would be uh, sex outside of marriage. It's that simple. Uh, wherever there is sex outside of marriage, I don't know, college, there's demons and lots of them. A lot of money to send your kids off to be surrounded by demons, you know. Unless they got a good church where they're praying every Sunday. Of course, then we fight back, right? But be aware that sexual licentiousness is what the lies of the demons drive men particularly to, although women are quite uh, wicked. Read Revelation. The harlot's a real female dog. Look at me being pious, yeah? Uh, but she is. That's what the word means in Revelation. That's what it's saying about the devil, is that that's what he has become like, okay? Uh, and so, you know, if you would have a strong marriage and a strong family and a strong neighborhood and a strong community, well, then you must understand that there's a spirituality to marriage and sex, and it is to be pursued with hope. That's number two. Number three, uh, they're going to call it, uh, well, not in order. I'm going to go with the, the easier to understand, blood. It says blood. And so you got a lot of Christians who like are worried about their medium rare steak, right? Like, oh my goodness, it's got blood. If you look at the Old Testament, there are some laws about not drinking blood, right? So when you cut the cow and catch the blood in a cup and drink it because it gives you juju, you know, powers, like that's bad. <laughs> I don't do this, yeah? Um, but a little red in your meat because you didn't overcook it, it, Acts 15 doesn't give a, it doesn't care. But it does care about the shedding of innocent blood by your hand or by your neglect. And so when I suggest to you that down on Auburn Street where they're trying to shed innocent blood, there's demons, as opposed to around your steak on your barbecue, okay? Right, you follow? That they're saying, watch out where they're shedding innocent blood. Watch out where people take murder into their own hands. Watch out where a human life is not a human life because it's too small or too big or too ugly or too fat or too homosexual or too Christian. They treat you like you're not a man. Because humanity is no longer good. We're beasts to them. That is the shedding of innocent blood. All right? And then finally, the last one's where all the debate gets about. Suffocation, twisting, strangling. Uh, the Hebrew word's really not, it's weird. It, it's only got one reference. It's in Leviticus. And it's to the very kind of thing that the rest of Acts 15 is saying, don't look at these laws. You'll get confused. You'll start doing stuff you don't have to do as if it's Christianity. And yet here they point us to that one law, or do they? 
Uh, you gotta run through Septuagint and a bunch of other stuff, so let me just cut through the quick and say it's not about not eating animals that were strangled, okay? Right? Idolatry, sexual license, uh, um, uh, shedding innocent blood, and don't eat strangled cows. Like James the Just, what kind of idiot are you? No, no, no. But see, the thing is, the word's just twisted. It's like a great summary word. It has no single reference. But if you go back and you read anything about wisdom in the Old Testament, you'll find out that wisdom is straight. Wisdom is upright. And evil is bent. Evil is crooked. Evil is twisted. See? So where you find twisted things, and you'll, your nose will smell the twisted. You'll be like, what is this? And you go to the mall. Go store to store. Which one's more twisted than the next? You'll know. You'll know. Okay? It's not hard. Demons. Demons. Which doesn't mean, doesn't mean run away. It means, oh, I love Jesus. Hallelujah. I may not go to that store, but whatever's in that store is not going to scare me. I will pray for the poor, stupid people who go to that store as their religion. Oh, God help them. You know, the kids who are cutting themselves and trying to change into other types of animal and living on whatever they're living on. What I know is that when you spot those places in your neighborhood, in your uh, city, your mall, um, that's the time to go by and pray every day. Or when you're by yourself in your spot, that quiet place where you find the time to open the Bible and say it out loud, remember that place where the evil is. As you say, men and oppressors rise up against me. They seek my life. That's what the Psalms say. You're going to have to say it if you pray the Psalms, right? Well, then remember Auburn Street. You know, remember that store where they sell the devil's face, you know, as if it's funny. I remember these things. Uh, The wisdom I've learned, if you want to exercise your faith with an E, and so exercise the demons, uh, make them flee from you with the name of Jesus. From there, we're 20 minutes into 45, all right? And we're doing different pieces to shore up our understanding of who the demons are so you can fight the good fight that Ephesians talked about. I'm not sure we're gonna go back to Ephesians now, but I really would encourage you, if you want homework at all, the rest of Ephesians. Like read today's reading at home out of the bulletin tonight. Read it and then go to Ephesians 6 and finish it from there. And it'll give you hope. It will. I I promise you, I'm not lying. It will give you hope. Um, But we're not going to do that here then. I hope to still give you hope. But we're going to do the the Bible study time on Isaiah 14. I had to do some digging on this, so it's not going to get away. And it's, it's really worth our time. So would you find page 577 in your pew Bible? And of course, we are jumping to the ESV, which is in our pew, as we talk about translations here and consider my preference after much study that we move to the New King James. But I want you to understand why. And as we look at this text today, having both will actually show you some real difference. And, and there's a lot of difference The most important, the one that should drive us at the voters' assembly, is that the ESV changes every couple of months, every year, whenever they feel like it, they don't tell you. So when we print the bulletin in the ESV in our, um, uh, when we print the readings from the ESV in our bulletin, if you have the ESV in the pew, guess what? You might be getting a different text than you're hearing read. 
But the purpose of having a translation is that we all are having the same. That's the reason you have it. The ESV says, no, it's not. It's so we can tell you what to think later. That's the philosophy of their translation. And I'm kind of, I'm out, right? I'm done with that. New King James, 1982, not going to change. Stuck. Yeah, I don't know, in 200 years, maybe we need to look at it. It shouldn't be put in stone. That's the reason to change. But what is on top of that? Many other good reasons to change. It's more beautiful. And you're going to see it in the way that it calls out evil for what it is. And you're going to see that the ESV talking about Lucifer is downright boring. Downright boring as a translation. And, and I hope that you can also see, uh, when we touch on the New King James, how there's just so much flavor there. And I, I will promise you, that flavor is the original language coming through. They did a better job. They just did a better job. Okay, so uh, with that said, we're in the ESV. And the first verse we're going to look at, so I can kind of prove this point, and then we're going to do some context. But the first verse we're going to look at is verse 12. So you're really on page 578 now. And verse 12 is where uh, it speaks to this, this Lucifer. Uh, I want to make sure I have the right card. Nope, not that one. Not that one. There it is. And in your bulletin then, verse 12 is going to say, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, Son of the morning. And in your ESV, it's going to say, How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. And it goes on, How you are cut down to the ground, very close in the two texts. You who laid the nations low, you who weakened the nations. Uh, you could quibble about that, I suppose. But, I mean, obviously the name is gone, right? And then they've chosen to translate the name as Daystar, which is fine for scholars who will acknowledge that they might be just as wrong about it being the Daystar as it might be being Lucifer the name. Because the Daystar in its history as the Morning Star is a thing clouded not with biblical texts and references, but with pagan mythology. So it's kind of calling on pagan mythology for a moment here, right? And, and scoffing at it. And remember, at the end of Revelation, Jesus is like, I'm the day star now, by the way. You know, like, I took it. <laughs> uh, he took the crown, right? But here, you know, day star is as much of a interpretation as the name Lucifer will be. And then it calls him son of the dawn versus, again, the language, um, I have to find it, uh, son of the morning. I don't know. Dawn's a beautiful word, and morning's a beautiful word, too. But every time a translation happens, they have to decide between those kinds of things. And why you decide that, I think, is important. The reason that the English Standard Version decided things is they went for the most common, understandable word. Okay, that was their philosophy, is that we want the stupidest people to get it like this. But the problem is, it's a complex and beautiful thing that isn't meant to be gotten the first time by the smartest of people. And so you lose a little flavor. Even maybe between morning and dawn, dawn's a fine word. I don't want to complain about the word dawn. You know, I like the word dawn. Um, but now, the words are, are quite something. So the Hebrew word is hallel, which you know, you sing it. Alleluia is hallel, yeah. You know, Alleluia is praise Jesus. 
So it doesn't call him son of the dawn, and it doesn't call him Lucifer. It calls him Hilal, no, praising one. Although, no, praise is secondary meaning. First meaning of the word is shine. So when you praise, you shine, right? All things like human emotions are physical things in Hebrew, right? You know, love is a physical thing. It has a, a reference point. Kind of like German works this way. You know, a cloud, glued in the sky, a big rock. <laughs> Not a big rock, oh, but it looks like one. To, to a Germanic, you know, ninth century guy, right? A clued. So, halal, right? Praise is shining, but here it is, right? How you are fallen from heaven, O shining one. And then it calls him uh, Ben Shakar, um, son of the, we don't have a word for it in English. So there's more than one time between, say, 4 a.m. and 6.30 a.m. If you've ever welcomed the dawn, you know it's not a moment. I mean, the sun rises at a moment. There's the sun rise, but the dawn is ours, right? Um, and so this is the word for the moment in dawn where you don't see the sun yet. You just see its light. That is, it is so dark that you're like, is it dawn? This guy's the son of the, is it light? Now, do you see this guy? The shining one who goes, did he say? You see this? Why theologians were like, oh, it is the devil, obviously. Yeah, because well, yeah, it sure sounds like him. Yeah. But now, why, why would someone say, let me see if I can find my, my fantastic card of the modern mind. This is out of the theological word book of the Old Testament. My favorite resource on Old Testament words says this. Lucifer is a precarious conjecture. It cannot apply to Satan. We feel safest with our own skepticism. They even went and said it. Did he really say? Isn't it funny? No. Should put the fear of God in you is what it should do. Yeah. Um, uh, the son of the is it light. Uh, he then uh, is this one who earlier in the text is not an angel. So let's look at chapter 14, verse uh, three and four. Turn yourself there on page 577. And we're going to come back to it. I'm going to give you like an overview of chapter 13 and a, kind of a running start at Isaiah 13 and following. Because if you read the book of Isaiah, I mean, God bless you. That's a hard read, right? You're like, I'll read Isaiah. Have you read Homer yet? Because that was easier. Okay. It's a hard read. It's a good read. Better to read in chunks. Honestly, Isaiah 1 through 12 in a weekend, nice read, real good. Emmanuel's just sitting there on the surface, easy to grab. But to get after chapter 13, it gets tough. It's because it's a different book. There's really like four to five to six books in Isaiah, and they all should be treated like their own epic poem. And we, again, read it like it's just kind of newspaper print. I know this. Okay, whatever, right? Oh, that's America for you. But now... Again, so from chapter 13 on, we're going to be in 14. From 13 on, Isaiah takes up a bunch of oracles against everyone who's not Jewish. Right? And by Jewish, as I said that there, I mean those who are in the covenant of Jesus before he came and was born. All right? For the moment, at least. Now, everyone who's outside of Jerusalem. And particularly, he starts with the king of Babel. 
And he goes after the king of Babel first in chapter 13. And this king of Babel, Babylon, the word, though, in Hebrew is like, it's like Babel's place, right? Or the place of Babel. So this is where the Tower of Babel was. And at this time in history that Isaiah is speaking, it's a very important place. It's kind of like San Francisco. Now, at this time in history, uh, D.C. is Damascus. It's, a, it's Assyria. It's the thousand-year reign of the guys who put the hooks in your nose and dragged you away naked. Right? Those guys were nuts. They were scary people. All of them. You know, Nineveh, that great city. Uh, so this is, Babel has, is, is the second capital of, of Assyria. But Isaiah is writing to them, and he's going to say to them, you're going to destroy Assyria, and you're going to destroy Jerusalem, and then you're going to be destroyed. So what is the devil good for, right? It's an interesting conundrum that we have as the king again is called out. Um, let's see here. We'll go with, uh, oh, let's, let's do this. If you can glance at, uh, uh, what verse is that in then? Uh, Prince of, oh no, that, that'll be at verse 12. We'll come back to that. Okay. Um, summarizing chapter 13 then, bird's eye view, verse 2 you got a beautiful call to war. If you look at it, the text from three to five on, there's this massive army being gathered, many armies. Uh, Tolkien is pretty good at pulling on these threads in his stories. The battle of five armies at the end of The Hobbit is kind of like this moment. They're all coming down off the mountain, and all these armies aren't going against the goblins. Uh, they're going against God. These are the armies of mankind, and the day of God is at hand. That's verses 6 to 10. God is coming to punish them, and they're doing everything they can to get ready. Verse 11 and 12, their pride destroys them all. And this is God's punishment. This is a very key point. So pride is not merely why the devil is punished. It is how the devil is punished. And it is how we as his children are punished. And therefore, it is what we, as sons of God, are saved from. That is arrogance. That is boasting in myself. Right? And amazingly, amazingly, beautifully, pride comes back as dignity in Christianity. And you may boast in Jesus Christ. You may boast in your God. Every victory is his. Every word is a gift. Every day is life. Boast in Jesus Christ, yes. But pride, which is in man, Right? This is both the sin which brought it and the sin which will do its own work in destroying it. Um, and so we also then see uh, in verse 11 and 12 that the wrath of God, take yourself out of the movies for a second and look at history, the wrath of God prevails among men. It does. And wicked nations come and say, we can forget, or you aren't right, or we know better than you, or that's just your opinion, or all the lies we got for 60, 80 years across the stream and tube and the radio waves, making us believe that the name of Jesus Christ is something to be embarrassed of. All of that pride that they took from us with their arrogance, making us ashamed, is restored to us now in the name of Jesus Christ. And to fear not then, as we go forward in history, and to know that, that all the world is given to us as a place for conquering with our prayers. Again, is to insist on the goodness of God. 
as a creator, which again, the angels remind us of, right? This, the angels are not about redemption. They're about creation. And yet here they are with us in redemption, watching, singing, singing with us. All right, so let's start at chapter 14, verse 1 now. And we're going to go forward with uh, this idea. We have this is about the king of Babylon. He's been called out in chapter 13, but we're going to look at more about what it says specifically to him in chapter 14. And the question really is, okay, so the scholars say, the liberals say, um, that this is only the king of Babylon. But just see if it doesn't tell you everything you need to know about our current government. City, state, country, I don't care, world, doesn't matter. It tells you a lot. And see if it doesn't tell you about who your real enemy is and what you get to look forward to and if there isn't some hope here then in this. So it says, chapter 14, verse 1, uh, that the Lord, I always like to remember that is Jesus Christ, will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel. Uh, Two names that Isaiah likes to use for the Hebrew people. They are not Jews of Judea alone. Um, He calls them Jacob and Israel. They're the same guy, right? Uh, The third patriarch. Um, One name means God's with you. One name means uh, you're fighting God. (laughs) Yeah, Christianity, saint, sinner, all that. And uh, though, though Jesus will have compassion on you, it starts out here, right? So if you're in Jesus, this is good news. Chapter 14, you're in Jesus, good news coming. And he will set them in their own land and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob, right? So the, the exile is coming. Babylon's going to destroy you. But this message is for you who are destroyed by Babylon. They're in Babylon. That there's a better day coming on the other side of God chastening you. Right? Verse 2, all the peoples will take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel will possess them in Jesus Christ's land as male and female slaves. They will take captive those who were their captors and rule over those who oppressed them. Uh, this is language that Isaiah uses throughout his book, which is effectively, whatever you think the problem is, God's going to make it into the solution. So if the problem is that you're a slave... Well, then God's going to fix that. And he might fix it by throwing you in jail. And you might think that's a problem, but God's going to fix that. He might fix that by letting you interpret dreams and then taking you to become the second in command of the world from that place. And this is the idea that's always there, right? The stories aren't just stories and they don't just have ideas. They're reality. And the reality comes forward that when Jesus works for you, the thing that was the problem becomes the path. The cross is our victory. Weakness is strength. Now, this promise that God is going to fulfill in us, that that we will rule all. And if you want to take something where that, you know, taking the slaves, you're going to captive people and take them slaves. Just hear it as on the last day, every demon that ever gave you trouble and you didn't know it, going to kiss your feet. He's going to kiss your feet. And you're not going to have to be nice and pity the demon. It's going to be like a, a beetle or a fly. I mean, get off me. It'll be righteous with an hallelujah. May the Jesus Christ rebuke you. Hallelujah. And that, that's the promise here to you. Yeah? And then verse 3. When Jesus has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, hear that as the Israelites in exile. Hear that as mankind in fallen shadow of death world that we live in. Hear that is your life today. Right? When you get rest tonight. All these things 
uh, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. You want to sing a limerick? Want to rap some hip-hop about the evil one? You're going to laugh. You're going to scoff. I mean, this is there in the text for it. We, when we go to heaven, we'll get to look at the devil and sneer with joy. And I can't even imagine that. I'm too fallen to know how that'll work, right? But I can believe it's true. And when I'm oppressed, when I'm attacked, when I know there's demons around, it's a good thing to remember. Mm -hmm. So... You will take up this taunt now against the king of Babylon. I do want to talk about the king of Babylon here. Um, as opposed to Lucifer and what it said before in chapter 13, uh, just Babylon as a whole. It translated as king here in the ESV. Can someone tell me a King James? Is it king? King? Okay. The word's Navi. Or Navi. It is uh, the word prince. It's not Melech. King. So it's, it's interesting that the translators put it as prince. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was not the prince of Babylon, right? you know, frankly. He, he was the king of Babylon, right? So the, the translators are saying that prince is just too weak an English word. Well, okay, fine. Maybe for the emperor of Babylon it is, unless you think he's second to the king of kings and lord of lords, which makes him a prince, right? Right. So it says prince. <laughs> and it's talking about Satan again. Who is the prince of Babel, the prince of confusion. He ain't king. He wishes he was king. He wants you to think he's king. He prowls like a lion, but he ain't the lion of God. Huh? You follow? And now uh, he is this uh, uh, king of Babel um, that also uses the language in here. Um, it calls him Navi'im. Uh, Babylon was not Babel, but, but Thor. Right? So Babel, the word Babel is the word Babel in Hebrew. But Babylon gets translated from the word tsor, which means pebble, flint, actually, okay? But they just use the word pebble to mean flint. So if I ask for a pebble and you give me a rock, I'm going to be mad because I wanted a flint because we all know the only really useful pebble is a, is a flint. So we just call it that, right? So that's the word flint, which think about it now. What's a flint do? Makes a spark. Hey, you prince of sparks. Spark maker, light bringer. It's not about the devil, right? It can't be. It's about it all. The Bible's about it all. It happened, it's true, it's without error, and it's inspired of the God who makes it real today when you know what it means. You stop trying to make it all go away so it can be a safe little box you keep. You never have to feel the pain or maybe repent, right? That's what we want to do with this stuff. But when it's real, it comes real, and you can see how, you know, what the spark maker, what's a spark maker do? Fire starter. Is that good? Well, if you got it under control. But no, it's not good, is it now? Fire starting. Hey, Canada. God help us all. Here we go. Here's what he says to the fire starter. So wherever you, again, take, wherever you are, the man who's your enemy starting fires because he hates Jesus. It's about that guy, too. Yeah? It says, how, here's our taunt, our song. How the oppressor has ceased. The insolent fury ceased. Jesus Christ has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples with wrath with unceasing blows, that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. 
When God tears down the wicked, you might watch it. If San Francisco falls as a city, I mean, it's really gross there now. Lots of it, really gross. They can't handle their homeless. Neither can New York. Neither can Texas handle the immigration. I don't know. We live in Rockford. It's bad here too, right? When God fixes it, you can rest. And that's today. That's today because he's risen. Alleluia. And you can know that whatever troubles you now is just like a storm that's going to pass. You ever have a storm stay forever? They don't, do they now? They pass, right? They will go over you. Uh, The cypresses rejoice at you. The cedars of Lebanon, the trees, the trees sing with us. They hate the devil, right? Saying, since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us, right? You see the industrial machinery complex of cutting down forests and the trees don't like it. And so after we don't have to get wealthy by cutting everything down and destroying it to have more, they're like, thank God. The devil got cast down. Sheol beneath you, uh, King James, it will say hell beneath you is stirred up to meet you. May I, may I really make you cringe and quote a Disney movie? We're a little over time, but it's worth it today. Uh, Little Mermaid, the end of it, did you ever see it? Ursula, she gets super big, it's gross, it's really gross. Big octopus lady, really gross. She's super big, but she has her power from like these little tiny people souls that she's made into plants or something in her cave. Do you remember? I was a kid when I watched it. Anyway, like when she dies, because the ship kills her, weird, church, Um, when she dies and collapses and falls down into the sea, look who's there to meet her. Every single person she ever hurt. And that's, that's what I'm saying here again, right? Uh, that hell rises up to greet you as you come. It rouses those who were the leaders of the earth, those who rise from their thrones, right? Verse 10, all of them answer and say, have you become as weak as we? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, maggots lay you waste. How you have fallen from heaven, uh, you day star. And then uh, look, let's look ahead at verse uh, uh, 15. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the farthest reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder you. Is this the one who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world a desert, who overthrew its cities, who would not let the prisoners go? All the kings of the nation lie in glory in their tombs, but you are cast down away from your grave, a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, pierced by the sword, going to the stones of the pit, a dead body trampled underfoot, not joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers nevermore be named. It goes on. We're out of time. That's what's going to happen to every single one of your enemies today in their own mind and heart and conscience. Unless they repent and trust in Jesus, then they'll call on him too. But that's what will happen to them every day. And every day they get driven a little more mad until at the very end they throw themselves into the sea like some nuts captain chasing a big fat whale. Oh, it'll be better. Okay. Going crazy, going crazy. And on the other side of it is peace like a river. There is the name of Jesus Christ in my soul. There is the word of the Lord's Supper on my lips. And there is the body and blood of the risen man whom the devil fears coursing in my veins by great and glorious promises that you and I again right now 
feast on. In Jesus' name, he saw heaven fall like, he saw Satan fall like lightning. But don't rejoice in that. Your name is written in his hands. In Jesus' name.